Hi, I'm Tom Power. Welcome to Toy Heart, a podcast about bluegrass. This is the last episode of season two here from Nashville is my conversation with Allison Krauss. I remember, you know, the first time I looked out in the audience and saw people singing words to our songs that only we had recorded. That was just a really crazy moment. Just never thought it would end up being there. Never thought we'd hear back from Rounder. Yeah. Never thought we would hear from Rounder in the first place. If this is your first time listening, you can hear full interviews with Jerry Douglas, Allison Brown, Bela Fleck, Larry Sparks, Jody Stecker, and so many more wherever you get your podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Later on. And welcome to Basic Folk, where we have honest conversations with folk musicians on the Bluegrass Situation Podcast Network. I'm your host, Cindy Howes, here with Lizzie No. Well, hello. I'm so pumped to be here. I'm so excited. Did I mention I'm excited? I'm excited. Today's an exciting day on Basic Folk. We are welcoming superstar Ben Harper, a.k.a. maybe the most handsome man alive, Ben Harper, I, if you're listening, I want you to know that I respect you so deeply as a musician and an artist and a person in the world, and also apologize for the fact that you're so handsome that I couldn't resist reading you a poem. I remember that. Yeah. That was lovely. Basic Folk is a listener-supported podcast, so if you are checking out our pod for the very first time, we welcome you. Please enjoy yourself. If you've been listening for a while and would like to help us out, um, you can make a contribution at basicfolk.com. If you go into our shop, you can get a Basic Folk beanie for $5 a month, hand-knit by my mom. And that, again, is basicfolk.com. If you're not ready to make a contribution, that's fine. Uh, you can also sign up for our monthly newsletter at basicfolk.com, or you can follow us on Facebook or Instagram at basicfolkpod. There's a couple things before we get into Ben Harper. Lizzie was talking about drinking vinegar, and I told her this story that included Sherry, the drink Sherry, Yuck. not the lady that does your mom's hair. Well, shout out to Carolyn, who does my mom's hair. Shout out to Cheryl, who does my mom's hair. <laughs> there was some like hairdresser drama, so I actually don't know if Cheryl does my mom's hair. Okay, I actually have sh- I actually have hairdresser drama as well, and I'm just going to say it on the air and like really boldly hope that my mom's former colleague does not listen to this. Years ago, like it was well known at her job where she went and got her hair cut. Shout out to Carolyn. I'm not going to name the business. My mom's <laughs> boss used to go to the same hairdresser. My mom started to notice that like she would get her haircut and then her boss like a week later maybe would go to the salon and get the same haircut. No way. My mom's the boss same haircut? tried to single white female her. And I Was it the same hairdresser? The same hairdresser. She would be like let me get the Kathy. Like she would take my mom's haircut. Put yourself in her shoes. What would you do if you had to like go into work and and your boss was like eyeing you like, can I steal this look? Like, how do you, what is, is she your doing next it move? on purpose? I think she was. I mean, is that a mind game? Is that a management mind game? I don't think I'm qualified to have this conversation. That sounds really strange. <laughs> it's really odd. Me. I think it requires a private detective. Well, regardless, we were talking about the drink sherry, which is disgusting. And I was saying that I went to a mutual friend of ours wedding 
And at the end of the night, I went into the beverage tent where it was dark and no one was there. And I was like, let's keep going. Let's keep partying. It was like three days later, I realized that I had grabbed a bottle of sherry and a non-alcoholic beer. Oh, my gosh. Those were the saddest (laughs) spoils. Wouldn't that be the worst after party you go to? It's just like a bottle of sherry and like non-alcoholic, like not amazing non-alcoholic. Actually, it was pretty good non-alcoholic beer. I like like really like cheap non-alcoholic beer. For some reason, like if it's like a fancy craft Mm -hmm. beer that's non-alcoholic, I'm like, ooh, I'd rather eat a blanket. Let's talk about Ben Harper. Okay. This interview, I feel, is a milestone for us. And also, like, for me as a music listener and musician, I have been a fan of Ben Harper's since my teen years. I think it's great that we started by talking about his family. The first concert that Ben Harper went to was a Bob Marley concert in 1978 in Burbank, California. His dad brought him. That moment is a window into what has made Ben Harper the artist that he is. He has this deep connection to music through his family. They own a beautiful music store in the Inland Empire of California. And the legacy of that store is about people making sure that their community will always have access to music. That's the type of person that like Ben Harper has continued to be throughout his life. He has been the person that has given so many artists their start and been a gateway into Roots music for a lot of listeners. I became a huge fan of his when he did collaborations with the Blind Boys of Alabama. But the album that we really had to spend time digging in on is Ben Harper's new album, Wide Open Light, which takes him back to his acoustic and raw and slide-heavy roots. It walks this beautiful line between singer-songwriter and country and soulful that like Ben Harper's fans, have loved for decades now. And it shows him being kind of vulnerable and talking about his spirituality, of course, flexing his uh, like impressive guitar chops and his like beautiful, intimate vocal deliveries and performances. We also got to talk about Harry Styles, who Ben Harper has recently gone on tour with and like he's gotten the chance to meet a whole new generation of fans. So it was very cool to discuss not only his beginnings, but where he is now as an artist and how he's shaping his legacy with the next generation of musical listeners. Ben Harper's new album, Wide Open Light. We're going to hear a song from this new album and then we'll get to our conversation. Here's Giving Ghosts. It's Ben Harper on Basic Folk. Wishing into your arms I could run 
all of my days You mean the most Now I've got to give up your ghost We'll raise a glass Just one final toast And we'll drink to giving up your ghost Now I'm giving up your ghost Ben Harper, thank you so much for joining us on Basic Folk. I'm guest host Lizzie No, joined by our founder and main star host, Cindy House. Hello. Um, so you grew up in and around your family's music store, the Claremont Folk Music Center um, in Southern California, run yeah. by your mother's family, That's right. which boasts famous patrons like Leonard Cohen and Taj Mahal. I think a third space like that is a perfect intersection of creativity and like commerce and success. And that is a pretty good metaphor for your music. It has been both experimental and super popular. So how have you reflected on your trajectory in music, kind of your career running in parallel with the music store's history? And has the store been a true north or an example or something you return to when you think about your own career success? Well, there is a parallel in my success and the preservation Mm -hmm. of the music store, but there's not necessarily a parallel line or parallel path between my success and the success of the music store, Mm -hmm. only because the music store remains what it's always been. One part Mm -hmm. institution, one part social activist hub and then uh, the other part museum mm-hmm. it's a certified museum and it I guess the parallel is that my success has enabled the store a second life I don't, I'm not sure if they're parallels mm-hmm. but but the way that my career has the way that that music store was a springboard for my career is somewhat of a parallel as to how they've yeah. how they've uh, how they have sustained so your dad took you to your first concert, Bob Marley, 1978 in Burbank. You were nine, and it was a really important moment for you. And it's also yeah. cool to think that you have been that person for other young people. So with that in mind, like, how do you reflect on that concert being so young and the importance of live music as a way to connect with young people? It was the first time I had seen a live show. It's the first time I had put together that what was happening on record was happening live and that they were extensions of one another. And that was quite a moment. It's also one of the rare moments my dad took me to see something. Um, you know, He didn't take me to ball games. He didn't come to my ball games. He wasn't really present in my life in that way. But boy, he made a point of taking me to see Bob Marley, which I've always found, it's always struck me as fascinating. Do you know why? Auspicious. The first book he ever gave me was um, Bob Marley, Bob Marley's biography. And the first show he ever took me to was a Bob Marley show. And I, I never had the chance to ask him why, probably because I knew why. My dad's always had a deep connection with me as to who I would become. Wow. Do you think he was right? Like, do you think he saw who you were becoming accurately? I think my dad had a way, had a specific clairvoyance and and listen, in no shape or form, and I, I couldn't I couldn't reach the hem of Bob Marley's cuff, but certainly I've had a life that has enabled me to collaborate in his honor with Damien, with Ziggy, 
with Julian, Stephen, and and so maybe if Bob was even among us still, by now there could have been. I mean, imagine that, right? That's 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 a powerful thing to imagine. Yeah. Um, but but again, that's me reaching upward. So it has that zero ego and just all dream dreams dream state. Yeah, I like to think. Yeah, nothing wrong with you're, that. That you're in conversation. Um, Ben, your first instrument was the lap steel, which has no frets. And you've said that you had no use for frets until you started songwriting um, when you started using the guitar to write. Now, how do you think starting with the lap steel has impacted your guitar playing and the way that you approach your songwriting? I think that lap steel has affected my overall process by it being unorthodox. Mm-hmm. by it being an, a very blank canvas. It was one of the shapes and forms and sounds of the guitar that when I discovered it, it had an open, it had an open-ended sonic palette for me. Mm-hmm. There, while there, while there, was, there was Hawaiian style, there was blue style, there, I felt like there was a place for me to fit in that hadn't quite been carved out yet. And it enabled me to, to find my voice. It really helped me find my voice. And through finding my musical voice, I was able to find my lyrical voice. So it was the key mm-hmm. to the door, mm-hmm. the lap steel. At the beginning of your career, Taj Mahal gave you a huge opportunity. He took you on tour. You recorded with him. And then in turn, some years later, you took a chance on Jack Johnson, passed on his demo, which resulted in his debut. Then you took him on tour. Yeah. Um, so it's interesting to think about mentorship passing it forward but now at this stage in your life harry styles who is like of your kids generation has taken you on tour so like what value do you place on paying it forward like that and accepting career defining opportunities with others and how has that changed at this stage of your career you know it the great part about it is any that it hasn't so much changed as it has as it has sort of taken on roots in my life as to its importance. I recognize now more than ever that that's one of the more important parts of being an established artist in music is, is to always reach, reach towards other art, other artists starting out, just sort of getting, getting a, a, their footing. And that's an exciting prospect always for me. And I've, I've never lost sight of the appreciation of having, having been lifted up even maybe before I was ready um, and put in it put in the right positions to succeed, you know, continuing mm-hmm. to, to put art artists I love in, in positions to succeed, whether or not the times or the market or any of that other nonsense, whether or not that opens up just doing playing my part in, in helping helping art artists that I love. Yeah, it's such a mystery what people are going to embrace and when and why. Yeah. Um, and what is success? What is success? Is it a mil- is it a million streams? No, because that's like no. twenty. That's like twenty bucks. A sandwich. Um, <laughs> yet, it, yet it's yet it's really hard to get to, right? So so oh, yeah. we're 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 in some kind of a creative renaissance right now as to where the, the industry is in flux as to the definition of the music business. And so it's a fun time to be doing interviews like this, talking about what it means to be a folk artist in the technological mm-hmm. age, right? Because folk folk isn't necessarily as folk is only folk only starts to sort of scratch the surface as to what the definition is. Folk music is one part music and one part work work ethic. Yeah, and I also think it's a it's also a way of being with other artists. Like when I first started touring, like in my early twenties, like 
the first thing that I noticed about folk artists was like they would all like have their merch in their car and often were sleeping in their cars. Sure. And there was like a there was such a camaraderie. I feel like there's like this working man's uh, humility and kindness and camaraderie about folk folk music, even folk music stars. Working persons. Yes. Thank you for correcting me. Working persons. Uh, camaraderie. Yeah. Absolutely. I, I don't mean to be that guy because I'm usually the one that gets corrected there. So I have a lot of nerve. <laughs> Are you mansplaining feminism to me, Ben Harper? <laughs> I feel like Ben Harper is the only one I would allow to mansplain either of us, Lizzie. No, but in all fairness, um, I didn't mansplain. I just man corrected. Mm-hmm. Different. Uh, and no, e- no, even not now, even corrected. Man appropriated, man shape shifted. I don't know. Yeah, now and even now you're actually man yeah you're man you're man correcting me on no, but, my call out about the mansplaining no but that's you being that's you reverse sexism oh yes yes, well, yes 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 i've been accused man, of that a, before a, 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 <laughs> man, a man should have the right to actually have a path to act to or are we voiceless now as men i don't know mm. ben harper i've been meaning to bring up rights. men's rights yeah. on this podcast no 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 men's rights just sort of equal do we want equality or don't we Mm. Well, it's been great having you on the podcast, Ben Harper. <laughs> Have a wonderful rest of your day. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay, back to the Harry Styles tour. Um, and speaking of the next generation of music consumers and creators, yeah. I am curious what you notice about your new fans that have kind of come on board like since you've been out on tour very recently versus the folks that have been longtime fans since before the social media age. Sure. Like, do you feel like younger fans are consuming music in different ways than your like more like your older fans are? Yeah. And I, I see them bringing each over to one another's camps. I see mm. newer fans recognizing the importance of vinyl. And I see old vinyl heads with Spotify accounts and Apple accounts. So that's been fun to see. It's really fun when you hear people talk about music that I released in 1994 as if it were released yesterday. Oh, yeah. Because that's been happening a lot. That's cool. Yeah, I was just talking to a musician friend about Ground On Down like yesterday. Oh, wow. It, things get a new life when they get playlisted. And I think that's that's a pretty fun, like mixed old school mixtapey way to be experiencing music. When I first went on tour with Charlie Musselwhite, we put out a record called um, Get Up. Mm-hmm. And we did our first launch show in New York. I believe it was the Brooklyn. No, it was at uh, Irving Plaza. And it was it was a crowd full of people that I recognized as my fans. And after the second song, they were chanting Charlie's name for about five minutes, maybe 10. <laughs> and it's just that kind of goes back to not only reaching towards new artists, but reaching towards artists from other genres who, when you combine forces, two plus two can be 22 in that special way. Your music throughout your career, you've showcased many different sounds. So each record can sound like a 180 from the one before it. The new album is Wide Open Light, which you've been gathering songs for in the last 10 years or so. It's a very spare acoustic record, mostly solo, it's minimalist. Lizzie told me about this quote you said once where you use the F word and I'm going to do it too. You said, <laughs> folk, music <laughs> is some, folk music is something simple that you don't want to fuck around with. It's true. Or something like that. So how do you yes, relate right. to minimalism and folk music and how does it come and go in your life and in your music? 
It's always there, isn't it? I mean, it's it's always there to keep you humble. It's always there to remind you that that simple ain't easy, mm. and and it's a challenge. It dares you. It dares you to strip away the nonsense. It dares you to. It dares me, I should say. It dares me to strip away the excess. And there's a place for excess, you know. It, like Dylan, it's all right, Ma. You know, there's 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 mm-hmm. all kinds of places, and, but it, you know. Um, I like uh, blowing in the wind and uh, Dylan and I like freedom, Richie Havens. I mean, you know, I, I, I like Bill, you know, Bill Withers is, is the black Bob Dylan for me. You know, I mean, I, mm-hmm. I, I grandma's hands, you know, isn't for me. Um, I mean, grandma's hands and, and, um, grandma's hands and lay, lady lay, you know, they're both, they're both at the top of the food chain for me. So I, I love complicate. I love this land is your land and, and good night, Irene. And then, you know, and times they are changing. And, and, um, I just, I, I think if I love how folk music center wears a folk music center, if I love how folk music wears many different hats yet is also at the same time, the lowest common denominator. about the spirituality of wide open light um and i want to start with a poem a Rumi poem out beyond ideas of wrongdoing and right doing there is a field i'll meet you there when the soul lies down in that grass the world is too full to talk about the title track of wide open light really brought that poem to mind and it made me wonder what does it feel like for you to walk into wide open light who is the person that you're inviting into the light in the song? And then more generally, what are you trying to share about your spirituality on this record? Not necessarily addressing any, anyone. In, and it's such, a, it's such a non-answer to say you're not addressing anyone because I'm probably addressing my, my own sub, subconscious, right? I mean, That's it's all kind stuff. of... Yeah, I mean, it's all, it's, it's all kind of a, a journey inward in that way whether we're, we're meaning it or not, whether we've written it for someone. I mean, half the songs I thought I was writing for someone else, I was actually trying to get my own attention. But with that said, it's an invitation, I think. I, I love how music can be an invitation to whoever's listening to define the song and, and make it a duet. And that's another good point about folk music. All folk music is, is a duet with the listener in a way, because... It doesn't prevent that you you can hear a folk song and start singing it. If you've heard it for the first time, you can sing it by the second chorus. Otherwise, it's not a folk song, right? That's the rubric. I can't believe we finally have a definition for folk music. <laughs> if you can't After sing it by the se- if you can't sing it by the second chorus, it ain't folk. It's not folk music. <laughs> <laughs> I After amuse all, myself I right. and endlessly amuse myself. This album resembles your early work. Uh, the record opens with an instrumental, just like your debut, "Welcome to the Cruel World." Yeah, yeah. And when Thank you, you for that. Thanks for hearing that. When you make such a spare record like this, how do how do you relate to who you were on your debut album? It was exciting to reconnect with who I was sonically by opening and closing on this record with instrumentals. And I've always, you know, Taj Mahal has always been, you know, when I, I saw Taj at around the same time I saw Bob Marley, and Taj was a black man playing 
folk blues instrumentals and they move me every bit as much as as you know Corina and everything else and take this hammer I mean his instrumentals got under my skin at a very young age and I always knew if I I never I wasn't sure if I would be able to lyrically reach to where I have today but I always knew I'd be able to hopefully do the instrument you know the instrument connect with the instrumental part of it and so I've never lost sight. There's there's instrumentals on almost every other record I've put out, and I, I love having carried the instrumental torch as far as I have, mm-hmm. and especially on this record. I mean, this is this is even more stripped down than this is probably the most exposed, stripped down roots folk I have ever been, and it took this long to be this. I don't know. You can't call if you call yourself brave. You sound like an idiot, but it's not obvious. <laughs> I don't know if it's brave, but ain't nobody else doing that shit. I would call it brave. All right. I feel like the more exposed you are, the more you have to be like in tune literally and- There it is. You know, artistically. So yeah, it's exposed. To, like, cause when you're starting out, you're just running through walls. Then all of a sudden you realize walls can be hard. But this was a kind of, I, I feel like, I, I'm just excited about this record. That's why I want to come on your show because you know you guys are exploring the depths of folk music, and I wanted to do that with you because I, I was hoping I did. I, I I felt like I did that on this record, so it was fun to get to talk to people who actually recognize that on a daily basis. Wow! Thanks. Oh my god. Mm-mm. I'm honored. Let's let's talk about the song "Giving Ghosts." Okay. It, that might be my current favorite song on the album, but it'll change with time. That is a live recording. Uh, of a performance you gave at the Sydney Opera House about yeah. 10 years ago. Yeah. Um, and Cindy told me it's the first time you ever performed that song. That's what's that's the recording that's on the album. Yeah. It is an emotional high point, okay. especially the lyric, every day I look more like my father and every day I look a little less like me. Like I relate to that so strongly. Um, can you talk more about the inspiration for that song and, and how it feels to listen back to it now? Yeah, that's one that did stand the test of time for me. I tried to mm-hmm. record, I tried to outpace it on record maybe 50 to 100 times in different settings, different times. I even had a mic ready and always on around my house. I tried it in mm-hmm. different studios and I couldn't top the feel from for me for the for the opera house. So I just I ran with that one. It was the first time I'd used a live recording on record. Was now that, that is a, brave. Was that was that hard to get your mind around that? I feel like if I were a musician and I'm and I have this like beautiful record and the one live recording, I would get like really bent out of shape about it. I was spooked about it, and then someone pulled the Neil Young card on me, needle damage done, and I, I went, "All right, if it's good enough yeah. for Neil, Gilly- what's good for the Neil is good." For Gillian the Welch too. Uh, yeah. Oh, Gillian. Time, okay. Time okay. Is really is there a, what what's live on time the revelator? I, I want to s- rock and roll. I want to sing that rock and roll. I want to sing that rock. Okay, that's right. Yeah. Now you got you you know. There's a th- I love the three time of the you. revelator. That song just just does me in. I got to tell you, when I was in college, I would play that on my college radio show and didn't even know that like I, the f bomb didn't register until someone actually pointed. I must have played it like twenty five times. Uh-huh. Cindy, uh-huh. I know. Radio Outlaw. <laughs> <laughs> Times a revelator. Yeah. So speaking of being brave, I feel like singing in falsetto, no matter who you are, yeah. is very brave. And on this record, I am very happy to say that we get falsetto Ben Harper, one of my favorite Ben Harpers, um, on okay. the song okay. Eight Minutes. 
your voice is absolutely beautiful no matter what you do, always has been. Mm-hmm. How have you felt about your voice throughout your life? Like, what has that relationship been like? God, that's really a significant question. And it sometimes, it, it, and it's, it just depends how honest I want to be as to really exposing the right answer. But I have been searching. I, it's been a lifetime. I, I feel like I'm, I'm coming into my voice right now. I feel like I'm arriving at my voice now, which is sort of frustrating because I've been at it too long to just be coming into it now. But that's how I feel. That's a really special song. I to, yeah, let me sit with that for a minute. Yeah. What it feels like to really be arriving this many records in and this much yeah. success in. Yeah, and then some people, oh, I wouldn't change a thing, I wouldn't change a note. I changed no. lots of things. I changed lots of notes. And, and yeah, but, and thank you for hearing that on Eight Minutes too. There's a, there's a certain key that enables me to sound just like my mother. It's very mm. strange. Oh, it's wow. very, very odd. And Eight Minutes is that key. Oh, I can't wait to listen back to that. First of all, I want to I want to give a shout out to Alan Harper. She is so rad. We did She's, a guest DJ one time, and I was like floored by how cool she is. They, I'm gonna I'm gonna just go out on a limb and say I've got one of the coolest moms. Yeah, yeah. She's a doctorate first of all in education. Okay. She like went back to school, put herself through school while raising three nappy headed boys, and got her doctorate. She's put, she puts out records. She, she's an author. She's got an, a wonderful band. She runs the store, the lifeblood of the music store. She's just, she's my hero. That's success. Circling back to our question earlier, what success is, I can say that is There it, it. is. We're learning a lot in this interview today. We are. What, what folk, folk music, music is and success. Oh, I want to talk about your Apple TV show, Extrapolations. Oh. Um, with the Meryl Streep, Kit Harrington, and the wonderful Forrest Whitaker, where you play Tyrone Downs. Yes. Um, on the Jennifer Hudson show, you described your character as a combination of Marvin Gaye, John Lennon, Che Guevara, and Malcolm X. Yes. A question that's close to my heart yeah. is how would you describe Marvin Gaye's influence on your political outlook and your idea of how an artist should be in the world and, and what your responsibility is. Well, you could hear Marvin's rebellion in the notes and in the mm-hmm. production. Yeah. There was just something in the tenor of his voice that insisted we all pay attention in a specific way, right? Mm-hmm. Or at least for me. Yes. Um, and, you know, what's going on? Mercy, mercy me. I mean, he, you talk about being ahead of the curve. So there's that. And, and then... Yeah, Marvin gave us all license. And I, I wonder what Stevie Wonder would say here, you mm. know, what, but I wonder, do we know what came first? What's going on or talking book? Could do a quick Google Googling. Search. Yeah, because that's an important one to know. I should know that. Okay, what's going on is 1971. 1972, talking book. Of course, the album talking book is itself a Scorpio. We'll get to that later. Interesting. <laughs> no, we won't. <laughs> no, we just did. We just did. Yeah. We've got two Scorpios on, on the call. We do? And I'm a Scorpio and you're a Scorpio. Okay, so that's that's why we have it like that. I'm a Pisces, guys. Everything's cool. Every, yep. Yeah, just, just mellow out. But um, yeah, Marvin Gaye and politics. That's a fun mm-hmm. conversation because, I mean, he wasn't, he didn't hit you over the head with it, right? Like I've got right. songs like "Don't Take That Attitude to Your Grave," you know, mm-hmm. and 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 I'll rise. And how many miles was me march? And we need to talk about slave. We like I I just go in for it. Yeah. Marvin Marvin 
couched it so genius as far as his presentation, you know? So I, but I heard it, it reached me, you know, Marvin's politics reached me. Hmm. Yeah. And maybe we're in a time where some of that directness is, I mean, like there's so many different ways to be a political artist and to reach people. And I think it's really interesting that you can do it in a little bit more of a metaphorical way like Marvin did. And then some of your really direct songs, I mean, how you, you can get the same feeling and maybe different people are ready to hear different levels of directness. Yeah. Yeah. Cause when I get political on my socials, like when I, you know, when I went, when I went public with some, like, you know, if you, cause I was like, if you listen to Trump, don't come back to my, don't like just stay away for good. And was, man, my DMs, <laughs> it got crazy. You know what I mean? So it's like, but I don't care. I'm so far. I'm left. I'm all the way left. Yeah. Like, Hell you yeah. know, yeah, I just, I just like, I want, I want, Rights. I believe in human rights. Mm-hmm. I don't believe that the Constitution is the Bible. And I think a lot of things need to change. Like, and I don't hide it. And I, I'm not mad at Republicans, but that man had no business in the White House. So no. I'm, I'm going to let you know, you know, that's just <laughs> it. Coming across uh, or in, in getting ready for this interview, uh, I discovered that you one time played Saturday Night Live and Donald Trump was the host. Yeah, Jack Johnson and I were back in Toots in the Maytals and, and he, he was up there. Toots. Jack Jack gave him Jack gave him rabbit ears even back then. Because <laughs> <Jack. laughs> Donald Trump has Jack. been corny and evil. Mm. Yeah, and you can tell him I said that. And that's on the Central Park Five. Your your DMs are gonna blow up, Lizzie. My DMs are a disaster. Yeah. Bring it on. Bring it on. If you're black and you have an opinion, your DMs are a mess. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> That's Welcome. so well put. This seems like a good time to talk about skateboarding. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Heck yeah. You are a skateboarder who's trained with professionals. You own a brand. Shout out to Roller Horror. Is that still? Well, the the brand is now defunct, but it was fun giving that a shot. Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. Not to not to counter. Well, the, as it was coming, as it, as I was saying it, I was like, oh, I did not double check to see if Roller Horror is still around. R.I.P. Oh, right. Roller Horror. And then um, it was a blast. How have you used skateboarding as a method of connection? Skateboarding is is one part physical endeavor and one part social communication, and you're absolutely right. I mean, I've I've it's it's expanded my it's deconstructed my ego and expanded my outlook in that it reintroduced me to falling in public, and that was a really good thing for my ego, and mm-hmm. it was a metaphor for how I needed to approach if I needed to be as brave on a, on, on a guitar as I was being on a skateboard and it opened that up for me. Wow. That's cool. At a very crucial time when I was a bit stuck. Wow. Falling in public is, it's a, it's nobody wants to do it, no. but it seems like it's so good for you. God, <laughs> it's, it, for me, it was, it, it was like, yo, dude, you, it, this is, this is what's real right here. In terms of inspiration, this is kind of a, a long question. You say, I do have to respect the muse differently. I don't want to come off as chasing anything in the industry because I have chased things. Yes. Let's and stop right there before you go further, because that's you're, what's happening is you're asking three questions that weren't five minute answers. <laughs> each okay. different question. So I start thinking about one and then you turn a corner and you lose me. 
Okay. We're too excited to ask questions. Oh, and I love it. We got time. Okay. The other thing that you're not thinking about currently that you used to is that everything in your life can be translated into a song. Um, yeah. And this development has made you more present. My question was, can you talk about how you got to this place in your creativity as there is less chasing now and more living in the present? You go to running with, to running to, to running from, you know, and it's, it's, it's a, so I, I have, I've gone from sort of running with the muse to running to the muse to sort of running from it in order to sort of gain a sense of stability in, in my personal life. Because every conversation shouldn't be a song. I shouldn't be listening for a song when I'm talking to my friends, you know, but that's kind of the byproduct of having released a record every 14 months for 30 years. Wow. That's so I'm, I'm now um, sort of deconstructing my life's process in that way and, and allowing it to be done and not to just constantly be doing it. And it feels like the right place to arrive at it, at 53. Your daughter, Harris, is a talented musician also. Yeah. What has she taught you about how to be an artist? She has taught me that well, what we just talked about in letting in, in, in art for art's sake, she's an incredible reminder of that. While she has ambition and she would like to be able to have her creative process be her work, she's not... It, it, it doesn't own her in the way that it owned me. And it's wonderful to see her, how she approaches her music, not to mention her meticulous songwriting with zero nepotism. It's as gorgeous and thought provoking as I have ever heard, period. Harris Harper is a lyrical gangster. Mm-hmm. She is More serious. She, she is her. She's next. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, before we do the lightning round, I just want to ask a question. Um, what's going on with the reggae album? That's that's next. That's up okay. to bat. That's up to bat. How, where, when? I don't know, but I'm halfway through it lyrically, and it's fire. It says it's it's probably going to be my, that's reggae record may be my swan song, y'all. All right. Well, I'm filled with mixed emotions, and I can't wait to hear that. Let's do the lightning round. This is really quick, and then we'll let you go. Does it sound okay. good? Deal. That's fair. All right, Lizzie, you start. What is your karaoke song? Purple Rain. What is the best 90s jam? <sighs> All apologies. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Dogs or cats? Dogs. But no offense co- to my cat people. What is your coffee order? <laughs> it's so good. Oat milk, triple shot latte. Ooh. Whoa. Get it done. Ben, Har- ben Harper is awake. Um, what is your most useful non-musical skill? Guitar repair. Ooh. But is that a musical skill? Could be argued. No. Okay. Who is the greatest songwriter working now? <sighs> that's so, that's so necessary. Um, Peter Case. Okay. Oh, all right. Great. Okay, Blimpsouls. I just had, but I mean, it, you know, that, yeah. Uh, what is one song you wish you had written? Case of You, Johnny Mitchell. Oof, okay. Where Where is the most beautiful place in the world? Sardinia. Wow, that was a really quick answer. 
Yeah. The quickest I've ever experienced in all mm. of my years of lightning rounding. Okay, okay. I, I did. I actually served the name of the round well. Right. On that one. You really did. Because it can't be lightning round. You'd be like, ah, uh, well, I already did that, of course. Um, but <laughs> yeah. At least you didn't try to change or reinterpret the question. You just went from the in- from okay. the gut, from the instinct. The new album, Wide Open Light. Ben Harper, thank you so much for talking to us. This has been such a pleasure and honor. Lizzie, Cindy, thanks for your patience and the scheduling. Right on. Oh, no, thank you. Of course. All right. This episode of Basic Folk was produced by John Nungesser. Our music composed by Alex Stanton. Basic Folk is on the Bluegrass Situation Podcast Network. You can find all of our episodes there, wherever you get podcasts. You can also search for us on the SiriusXM app under Basic Folk, or you can check out our website, basicfolk.com. Thanks for listening all the way to the end. And if you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend, maybe your sophomore year college roommate that would not stop playing Steal My Kisses over and over and over again and maybe ruin that song for you. Maybe send it to her. We wish her well on her journey. Oh my God, she's the worst. Okay, thanks for listening. We'll talk to you next time. Bye. Bye. Bye.